Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. So as Kyle said, we're starting a new series on the Word. It's going to be four weeks. Um, today, I want to talk about what, what is the Bible. Um, week two is, is the Bible historically credible? Um, week three is, is the Bible really divine? And week four will be, is the Bible really for me? Spoiler alert, it is. So a little clarification to start with. Is the Word of God and the Bible the same thing? And the answer is yes and no. So let's start by going to the very first chapter of the Bible, um, the very first verse in Genesis. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light God said so God is speaking that's how the universe was brought into existence another little insight into that is in Psalm 33 by the word of the Lord the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Remember that phrase, breath of his mouth, because we're going to see that later. So God the Creator spoke the whole universe, everything that we see, every, all of reality, everything that exists, he spoke into existence through his word. And he proclaimed that what he spoke into existence was good, And then he rested from his creation speaking, but he didn't rest from speaking. God is still speaking. So now let's move on to the New Testament. Uh, In John, John 1, again, very first chapter, says, In the beginning was the Word. We just saw that, in the beginning. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So now we're talking about a person who was with God in the beginning, who was God. So all that was created, all that was spoken forth, was spoken through Jesus, who is the Word of God. He's the embodiment of all that God has to say. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then a little further on in verse 14, said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us 
And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. So we see that what God has to say, He is saying through His Word. And the culmination of everything that God has to say to us is in His Son, the Word of God. So lastly, let's look at this, uh, the first, again, the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, verse 1. This is actually one of my very favorite uh, chapters. Apparently. <laughs> one of God's, too. Um, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. So God has spoken in many, in many, at many times and in many ways in the past. But in these days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. So you see this theme carrying through. That all things that were made were made by God speaking them into existence all things that were made were made through the Son of God, the Word of God. So all in these last days He spoke to us by His Son, who He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And we get kind of a better understanding of this this phrase, the exact representation of his being. When we go and look at this dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You say, well, wait a minute. Didn't those verses just say no one has ever seen God? And now Jesus is saying, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip is a little confused by this. And he says, show us the Father. Lord, that'll be enough for us. Yeah. So he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been amongst you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Uh, he is the total, the totality of what God wants to speak to us. Let's look at Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the eternal word of God, the Lagos. But we would know very little about what Jesus said, what he taught about his life, if we didn't have the Bible. So the Bible is the written word of God. If we look at uh, the Bible as a book, give a little overview of it, the word the Bible is actually a transliteration from the Koine Greek, and it means the books. And the word scripture, we often refer to Bible as scripture, is, uh, is from a Latin word, griffa, which means the writings. So the books or the writings. So why is it plural? It's plural because the Bible is 66 books. And the estimate is that it was written by about 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. The Old Testament, written somewhere between 1,400 and 400 B.C. And the New Testament, between about 40 to 90 A.D. These authors are all very different. Uh, includes two shepherds, Hosea and Amos, uh, the fishermen, Peter and John, a former tax collector, Matthew, a doctor, Luke, a military general, Joshua. At least four of the writers lived in a royal household, David, Solomon, Daniel, Nehemiah. Only a few of them had a high degree of education. Paul, Luke, Daniel, and Moses were very highly educated for their time. So each one of these authors brings to uh, their authorship a very unique experience of life. The subject matter in these 66 books also is very different. It includes uh, books relating to history, collections of sermons, letters, poems, a love song, prophecies, architectural specifications, ge geographic surveys, uh, travel diaries, population statistics, family trees, and legal documents of all sorts. It was written in three different languages. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Koine Greek. Koine Greek is a street Greek. It was the common language of the people at the time. Um, classical Greek would be more academic. So, and there is some uh, Aramaic also in the Bible. So you see little bits of it here and there. There's a, when you, have you, anybody ever heard the word Abba referred to as uh, daddy? That's uh, an Aramaic word. Or when Jesus um, cries out on the cross, um, that's in Aramaic. So, all of these languages and all of these books and all of these authors, you might be tempted to look at it and say, how does that all fit together? It's really a, one story from beginning to end. It's one complete story of God's relationship to man. So God, when, 
we fell in the garden when we turned our backs on God. God didn't leave us in that place. He had a plan to redeem us. And it was through his son. And that's the story of the Bible in a nutshell. It's that story of God sending his son to redeem us, to bring us back into his family. That is the gospel. And it is the whole message of the Bible. So in order to preserve that message, God the Holy Spirit has curated the Bible. I think that's a good word to use. And made sure that that the Word of God was preserved in the Bible. If we... uh, Consider how, the, how did the Bible get to us in English? I wish I had more time to share on this journey, but let's take, um, let's take a look at a few people who were responsible for um, the translation of the Bible from the original languages into English, which is our common speech. So the first one let's look at is John Wycliffe. Do we have that? So John Wycliffe was one of the first people to translate the Bible from Latin uh, into English. Um, he died from a stroke, actually, while he was preaching at this little church in Lutterworth. I took a walk one time in Lutterworth and ended up at that church. It's where my wife's family <laughs> lives. But uh, the, the authorities in at the time, didn't, were not really happy about the Bible being translated into English. They liked the fact that the Bible was only able to be read by people who were uh, classically educated. And there's a reason for that. reason is, if you can't read the Bible, then you're dependent on me to read it and interpret it for you, Right? That gives me a little bit of control over you. You have to come through me. And at the time, that was something that the, the church was really very uh, active in. And that was, uh, they were very political. They were very controlling. And so they didn't like the fact that the Bible might be in a, in a language that people could read for themselves. In fact, they were so against it, and they so hated Wycliffe, that after he died, they actually uh, dug up his bones and burned them to ashes and scattered the ashes in the river that runs through Letterworth. So they they didn't like that at all. Next person uh, we'll look at briefly is a, a man named William Tyndale. He was the first person to translate the Bible from the original languages into directly into English. Another person... Uh, very responsible for uh, the Bible that we have today, uh, was a man I'm sure you've heard of called Johannes Gutenberg. Uh, he, he invented uh, the printing press with movable type. Um, in his day, that was cutting-edge technology. Because we, we also had a, a problem, not only was there a language barrier between us and the Bible, because we didn't read Greek and um, Hebrew, was it was also a... Uh, physical barrier. Not many people had access to Bibles. In fact, at the time that we're talking about, Bibles were usually about 
that big, and they were chained to the lectern in front of the church, which was made out of stone, um, because there just weren't that many Bibles around. So Gutenberg uh, made the Bible available to a lot of people. It was the first book that was really printed with movable type. So nowadays, though, we have access to the Bible. I've got 17 translations of the Bible and all these resources for studying the Bible right here, right in my iPhone, along with pictures of my granddaughters. So we have the ability now to access um, the Bible for ourselves. We can read it for ourselves. God's people have always been a people of his word. There's a passage of the scripture in Deuteronomy that the Jewish people refer to as the Shema. And it starts out in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we, we've, we've heard this because Jesus quotes it directly. But follow, the following verses in verse 6 through 9 give us a little bit more instruction about how it is we're supposed to love the Lord our God. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is repeated again in Deuteronomy 11. Now the Pharisees took this quite literally. And Orthodox Jews will carry on this tradition today. There are these little boxes that they call uh, tefillin. And you can see the gentleman on the left there is, has the, this little black box on his left arm and on his forehead. Inside that box is actually a tiny scroll in Hebrew, and it is these passages that I just read you from Deuteronomy. So very, they very seriously... Uh, uh, about, very serious about this, binding the word onto themselves. Now, that's not actually what I believe God wants us to do, but uh, it just shows you how serious they are about the Scripture. Also, they would attach these uh, tassels on their garments on the corners that have like a, a blue thread running through them. The blue's uh, actually a dye that comes from a sea snail. And that's why the... Israeli flag has the blue in it that you see. It's from um, these tassels that run through um, or that hang from the garment. And Jesus actually, when he calls out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy in Matthew 23, he says, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Phylacteries is another name for that little box that you saw. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garment long. And what he meant by that is 
you know, if, if you want to show how spiritual are, you are, and it's, it's somehow related to this little box, if I have a really big box that I strap to my head, I must be really spiritual. And if I have really long tassels on my garment, boy, that guy, he must be really spiritual. So Jesus is calling them out based on this practice. There's another part in that scripture that says that you are to write the, uh, the commandments of the Lord. You are to write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And this is also still a tradition in uh, Jewish households today. Um, for those of you who are, who's a fan of The Chosen in here? Who's watched The Chosen? Okay. So you'll see in The Chosen, if you watch the most recent one, when they come into the house, they do this on the door frame, and then they do that as they walk in. You've seen that, right? What they're actually doing is not touching the door frame. They're touching a thing called the mezuzah. And the mezuzah is a little case, a little uh, compartment that is nailed onto the door frame of the house. And inside that compartment, again, is the Shema. It's this admonition from the Lord to reverence his word. So what, we're, what we should get from this, what we should take away from this, is not that we should uh, duct tape a Bible to our heads or something. What God wants is not uh, the Bible to be written on the door frame of our house. What God wants is that his words be written into our hearts. That's where he wants to write them by the Holy Spirit. There's really a beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians where Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians. But in this letter to the Corinthians, he says to them, you're a letter. So he's writing a letter to tell them that they're a letter. It says this, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not in ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God doesn't want us to strap his word to the outside of our heads. He wants us to strap his word on the inside of our hearts, where it can change and transform our lives. How many of us want God's word written on our hearts? I do. That will not happen unless you read the scripture, unless you read your Bible. So supernaturally, God has made certain we're able to have his word. So all the things I was talking about, translating the Bible and making sure the Bible was collected together, making sure the Bible could be printed and distributed, and even coming to today where we have the Bible in digital form. All of that activity has been shepherded by the Holy Spirit for one reason, and that is to give you the Bible, to give you the Word of God so that you can read it and know it and understand the thoughts of God the very words of God. 
It's not an ordinary book. You want God to speak to you, right? Read your Bible. Or as I read somewhere, a person said, well, I want God to speak audibly to me. Read your Bible out loud. It's not an ordinary book because it's a book that when we read it, it also reads us. You've often heard it said, like, the Bible is inspired, right? And you're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come in some of the other uh, messages about the Scripture, about the Bible. Inspired is not really a good word for describing what the Bible is. Uh, it, it's translated that way in some translations, but in other translations, uh, it's closer to the original Greek. The original Greek is... Um, Theonoustos, which means God breathed. So the, the power of the Bible, the importance of the Bible, is not the fact that it has inspirational content. If you want inspirational content, join Oprah's book club. The Bible is not full of inspirational con content. It is the very breathed out words of God. It is God's words to us. And I really like that translation, God breathed. It's coming forth from God. It's spoken forth. Just as God spoke into existence the universe, the very stars in the sky, God has also spoken this book to us, spoken it into existence for our good. So we don't approach Scripture to be inspired. We actually approach Scripture with humility, praying that God will, through his word, transform our hearts. That's different than wanting to be inspired, I think. And so I really would encourage us to regard the Scripture in that way. Uh, the Bible says, of itself, that it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's all one story, and it's a story uh, that God is telling us about his redemption. It's a story of... Uh, this character, Yeshua Amashiach, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's his story. And we find our story as we fit into his story. I heard this thing the other day, kind of this interesting uh, new phenomenon that's come about through social media. It's called main character syndrome. Has anybody heard of this? So in main character syndrome, you're the star of your own movie. And, uh, you know, you see people doing this all the time, right? I'm directing myself. I'm producing myself. But the main character of the Bible is Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. And we find out who we are by learning God's story, Jesus' story, and then 
our, how our lives fit into that. We're not the main character. Jesus is the main character. God is the main character. So Jesus said in uh, John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. That's Jesus speaking about what he has to say. Jesus is saying, these words that I'm telling you, they're not even my own. They're coming directly from the Father who sent me. So, do we love Jesus? Then we have to seek to obey his teachings. What are his teachings? How do we know what his teachings are? By reading the Bible. So really, if, if there's one thing I want to encourage everyone to do in this new year, is recommit yourself to reading the scripture and come to it in humility, with an open mind. There are some parts that are difficult to understand. I know that. But ask God to help you to understand them. Um, talk to uh, any of the elders. Talk to older Christians that you may know that will help you to understand uh, the scripture. But commit yourself to a life of learning and having the scripture written into your hearts. It will be a blessing to you. It is what God blesses. The pattern of life and teaching that God has given us in the scripture, God has said, I will bless that. The pattern of life that we establish for ourselves outside of God's truth, that God is not blessing that. So if you want the blessing of God, you have to know the teachings of God, the commandments of God, and obey them. Lastly, along these same lines, and again, this is our Lord speaking. This is John 12. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Now, a lot of people would hear that and they go, oh, that's right, Jesus doesn't judge anyone. Don't judge me. You know, there's no judgment. But you have to read the rest of what he said. He said, there is a judge for one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And I know that his commandment leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. We do have something that judges us. When you come to the Bible, it is judging you. But it's judging you so that it can lead you to life. It's judging you, as Jesus said, I know the command leads to eternal life. And walking away from the commandments of God, walking away from the Scripture and what God has told us in the Scripture are His ways, is walking into death. 
And you see it in our culture in so many different ways. People are turning away from God's scripture, turning away from God's truth, and it's not resulting in good things, either for individuals or for our society as a whole. So we need to turn back to the word of God. We need to turn back to the scripture. And that's really what we're going to be concentrating on for the next few weeks, is the primacy of the scripture in our lives. Um, the, the Reformation, we're Protestants, you know, not Catholics, we're Protestants. So as Protestants, what exactly are we protesting? Well, what we're protesting is the fact that at some point in church history, the, the authority of the religious leadership got put above the scripture. And you ended up with a lot of, without, you know, I'm summarizing hundreds of years of church history here in like one paragraph, but bad things happened. When you put anything above the scripture, bad things happen. And so the Reformation was the, the idea that we need to return to the scripture as the final authority on life and faith and behavior. And we really are at that point today. We really need to turn back to the scripture and let the scripture judge our lives, not us taking our experience and our life and then turning around and judging the scripture. It really has to be the other way. You read the scripture in humility and let it judge your life. And in that, you'll find God's grace. Judgment's not a bad word. If we understand judgment rightly, we understand that God is judging us so that we can receive eternal life. He's, he's trying to show us the truth. He's trying to lead us into the truth. So with that in mind, um, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks and uh, of us together recommitting ourselves to the Bible in uh, 2023. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for watching over it, Lord, making sure that we were able to, we were able to have it, Lord. We're, we're, we're able to read it. We have access to it. Um, Give us a love for your word, Lord, a desire to have it written upon our hearts. And uh, also, Lord, to not just be readers, but to be doers, Lord. Help us to obey your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.